All right, we are going to start a new series today, as you saw, called As Yourself. And uh, before we jump into that, I just want to circle back to our series that we just finished called Sent, where we talked about the reality that all followers of Jesus are sent to the people around us to love them in ways that point them to Jesus. And at the end of that series, last week, we offered an opportunity for you to make a commitment to building some practices into your life that will help you live as someone who has been sent by God. And so if you didn't get a chance or you've been thinking about making that commitment, uh, that's still available to you today. You can use your phone. You can scan that QR code to sign up or we have uh, these uh, hard copies out in the lobby that you can grab that have the practices listed on them and then uh, a way to to sign in either digitally or um, old school. And so what happens when you make that commitment and share that with us is that you become a part of a group of people I'm gonna be interacting with on a weekly basis to help encourage you, support you, uh, pray for you as you build these practices into your life for scent living. So I just wanna invite you, if you haven't done that and you're thinking about it or you, you wanna know more, please, you can get in touch with me or you can sign up and I'll reach out to you this week and, and we'll connect and talk about what, what that looks like. So as we get started with this series, I wanna set it up with a music video from uh, one of my favorite artists, uh, music artists named Andrew Peterson. He wrote this song with his uh, son and daughter and he performs it with his son and daughter. And uh, it really sets up what we're gonna be talking about in this series. So let's take a minute and watch this video. That's heaving like an ocean And you're drowning in a deep dark well I can hear it in your voice That if you only had a choice You would rather be anyone else I love you just the way that you are I love the way you made your precious heart Be kind to yourself Be kind to yourself I know it's hard to hear it when that anger in your spirit Is pointed like an arrow at your chest When the voices in your mind are anything but kind And you can't believe your father knows best I love you just the way that you are I love the way he's shaping your heart Be kind to yourself Be kind to yourself How does it end when the war that you're in Is just you against you against you Gotta learn to love, learn to love Learn to love your enemies too Can't expect to be perfect, it's a fight you gotta forfeit You belong to me, whatever you do So lay down your weapon, darling, take a deep breath And believe that I love you Be kind to yourself Be kind to yourself Be kind to yourself
I barely keep it together during that song because I just imagine my heavenly father singing that over me, that he loves me and that part of what I'm supposed to do and be as his child is like acknowledge that I have some value and worth. And sometimes that's just hard to do. We run into things in life that make us feel inadequate and worthless. And it's hard sometimes to remember that God loves us just as we are. So what we're going to do is dive into um, this conversation about what that means to to be kind to yourself, to love yourself, um, and to understand that this is not just a a new idea. This is not some kind of pop psychology. This is a command from Scripture. So what does it look like for us to live this out? So we're going to read this passage from Matthew 22, where this command shows up for the second time in Scripture. Uh, The first time it shows up is in Leviticus chapter 19, and then Jesus is going to quote from Leviticus in this passage. In this passage, uh, Jesus has been asked by a teacher of the law to kind of narrow down, Jesus, what's the most important commandment in all the law? There's 613 commandments in the law of Moses. What's the most important one out of all of those? And Jesus narrows it down to two, and here's here's what he says. Uh, Feel free as we read this, if you see something underlined on the screen, read that aloud together with us. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now we like to focus on, we, we talk a lot about loving God. What does it mean to love God? And we talk a lot about what does it mean to love people? And sometimes we forget these two little words that are buried in the second greatest commandment as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why is that part even in there? And what does it mean to love ourselves? I think some of us are taught, the way that we're taught humility is is a a form of of really false modesty and that doesn't include loving ourselves. We're taught that loving ourselves is prideful. And there, there is a line that you can cross into pride there, but we can't abandon the idea completely that we, we are supposed to care for ourselves. And, and the reason why we do that, part of the reason why is first because we have dignity and value and worth as people made in the image of God. But also like the more we can see ourselves the way God sees us, the better equipped we're gonna be to see other people as God sees them. If we can see value and worth in ourselves, then we can see value and worth in others. But if we can't see value and worth in ourselves, we're going to be crippled in our ability to see value and worth in others. It's really hard to be helpful to others when you're unhealthy in your, in your own heart, mind, and body. And so that's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks is how to be healthy in our own heart, mind, and body so that we can love others well and acknowledge our worth. So we're going to start with this proverb today, Proverbs 4.23. Are you ready? This is your part. Above all else, for everything you do flows from it. Now, uh, throughout the sermon today, I may say the phrase above all else a few times. And whenever I do, you're going to say, guard your heart. Above all else, all right, you got it, you got it. You just have to pay attention because we don't know when this is gonna come out, okay? So what we're gonna look at is uh, an example from scripture about a person who for the mo- most of his life did a pretty good job guarding his heart, but he had a lapse. He had a breakdown, a time in his life when he stopped guarding his heart. 
And we're gonna see the consequences that come from that. This is from 2 Samuel uh, chapters 11 and 12. And I'm gonna just paraphrase, 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 summarize, paraphrase this story for you. Uh, But if you wanna read along, um, you can uh, grab a Bible or open the Bible app on your phone. Or if you use a Bible from the pews in front of you, it's on page 441. I'll just save you some time. You can go ahead and look that up page 441 in those pew Bibles, um, and read along with me as I tell this story. So this is about King David, and David is, uh, has done a great job. He's king, he's been king for a while, and he's just done a great job bringing peace to the land. And for the most part, they have peace from their major enemies. Uh, the land of Israel is experiencing prosperity, um, really for the first time since they moved into the land under Joshua's leadership. David is doing a great job. And for the most part, he's, he's honored God through it all. He's been very faithful and humble uh, and respectful of, of God. But we meet him in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel at a time when he has elapsed. And so he, uh, he sends uh, his commander out to fight a battle. So normally David would have gone with him. David was a military leader. He was a warrior, but he, didn't, he doesn't go this time. Instead, he stays home. And while he's home, he takes some time just to wander around on the roof of his palace and he spots a woman bathing. And he decides that he would like to get to know her a little better. So um, he finds out who she is. Her name is Bathsheba, and she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah is not a stranger to David. In fact, Uriah is listed as one of David's mighty men. David sort of had this cohort of special soldiers. These were like, these were like the, the Navy SEALs of David's army. They were just the, the top-notch guys. They were his closest companions. And this woman that he has spotted is the wife of one of his mighty men. And yet he sends for her and he spends the night with her. She goes home. She sends David a message later on that says two simple words that changed his life and her life. I'm pregnant. David immediately knows that he cannot be caught committing adultery and having a child with one of his, the wife of one of his mighty men. And so he devises this scheme to protect himself and um, sends, your, sends for Uriah to come home from battle. He tries to get Uriah to go home and spend the night with his wife. But Uriah, who is presented in this story as kind of like the anti-David, David in this moment is, is being very selfish. Uriah is being very loyal, and he refuses to go home because he's like, man, my, my, my companions, my, my band of brothers is out in the field fighting a battle. I'm not going to go home to my wife while they're out in the field. I, and he sleeps on the steps of the palace. Uh, David tries again the next night, and this time they have a few drinks together. Enough drinks that David is pretty sure Uriah is not really going to be operating, you know, at the top of his mental game. And he sends him home again. And once again, even drunk Uriah has more loyalty than David, and he sleeps again on the palace steps. So David has to take this plan a little further. He writes out a note to the commander of the army, Joab, and he says, I want you to do something that from a military standpoint is dumb, but it's gonna put Uriah in a position where he's he's probably gonna get killed in battle. And David writes this letter, seals it up, and hands it to Uriah to take back to his commander. So Uriah carries his own death sentence unknowingly in his hand. Joab does exactly what David tells him to do, and Uriah is killed in battle. The word comes back to Jerusalem that Uriah is dead. Bathsheba goes into mourning. After her time of mourning, David has her brought to his palace, and he marries her, and they have a child. 
Then the prophet Nathan shows up, sort of uninvited, unannounced, and tells David a story. He tells David a story about a rich man and a poor man. There's a rich man who has a lot of sheep and a lot of goats and a lot of cattle, and he has some guests come in from out of town. And his job as the host is to feed them. And so he's supposed to take a sheep or a goat from his own flock and uh, have it uh, cooked and served to his guests. But instead, he decides he doesn't want to sacrifice one of his own sheep or goats. So he goes to his poor neighbor who has one lamb, a lamb that he has raised from birth. And it, it actually, it's, it eats at his table and it shares his bed. It's like his, he treats it like his own child. And he steals that poor man's lamb as it cooked and served to his guests. And David is furious. Like, how can someone do this? This guy must pay. And Nathan looks at David and says, you are the guy. This is a story about you. This is exactly what you've done. And here are gonna be the consequences that come from your sin. And he tells him his child is gonna die and there's gonna be conflict in his family for generations. David is heartbroken in this moment. He recognizes his sin, he confesses, and he repents from his sin. He fasts for seven days while he's praying for his child to get well and not die. But his child dies anyway. David gets up, goes to worship God in the temple, goes and eats some food because he hasn't eaten in seven days, and then goes to comfort his wife. And the next time there's an opportunity for him to go out to battle, he goes. All right, that's the story. Now, here's, here are a couple things I, I want us to see. First, I, I want us to see a pattern that, that I noticed reading through this after a few times um, that uh, we're gonna point out and I'm gonna give you a chance to follow along with me. We're gonna see a word. And when you see this word, you're gonna think, Adam's just got this word in his head because we just did a whole series on this. But it's, maybe that's true. Maybe it's actually just in scripture. So here, here we go. Um, just to, we're gonna pick out a few verses and see this pattern. And, and uh, chapter 11, verse one, it, we read, David, that's your part. Did I? Yeah, you're the underlined part. Are we ready? David, Joab. And then in verse three, David, someone to find out about Bathsheba. Then in verse four, David, messengers to get her. In verse five, David, Word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. In verses eight through 13, David, Uriah home. He tried it a couple times. In verse 12, he says, stay here one more day and tomorrow back. David wrote a letter to Joab. And, and then in verse 27, David uh, had her brought to his house. The ESV says David sent for her and had her brought. Okay, so you're like, Adam, you've just got the word sent on the brain because we just did a whole series on this for six weeks. No, I don't think so. I think that the author of this narrative has that word in there for a reason. We're gonna see if we can uncover what that is. When we move on to chapter 12, here's the first verse of chapter 12, verse one. It says, the Lord sent Nathan. Chapter 12, verse one, we read that the Lord sent Nathan, okay? So something has shifted now. David is not the one sending anymore. Uh, God has sent Nathan. And then uh, David has this uh, moment of confession and repentance and experiencing consequences. And then in verse 20 of uh, chapter 12, we got that. Okay, here we go. And then David to the house of the Lord and worshiped. And in verse 20, he went to his own house. David comforted his wife Bathsheba and, and then in verse 29, David mustered the entire army and 
to Rabbah. Do you see the shift that's happening? So he's doing a lot of sending in chapter 11. Then he's confronted with his sin. God sends a prophet to him. David's confronted with his sin. And then his, his whole demeanor, his whole approach to life changes. And now he is going instead of sending. Here's what I think the, the, narr- narrator, the author of this narrative is trying to show us. That in chapter 11, David is operating uh, as someone who is in control. Someone who has authority to send people and, and have other people do exactly for him what he wants done. David is operating as someone who is in control. And then in chapter 12, after he's confronted by his sin and repents, now he is operating as someone who is under someone else's control. In chapter 11, David is leaning on his own authority. He is prideful in, in the position that he's created for himself and his ability to just make things happen. He just makes people do whatever he wants them to do. But after he's humbled, he puts himself back under the authority of God. And he does what God tells him to do. What does this have to do with loving ourselves and guarding our hearts? I believe David let down his guard on his heart. And it showed up in his actions in ways that were very destructive, not just to the people involved in this story. I mean, you think about the destruction to Bathsheba and Uriah, but also to generations afterwards. When you see, when you keep reading, you see what happens among his sons and daughters. And it's just, it's just awful stuff because he didn't guard his heart. And we know that above all else, guard your heart. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we have to do because I'm convinced that our, our thoughts, our words, our actions, they don't come from what we believe. They come from what we want. If they came from what we believed, then those of us who believe the truth would never make mistakes in our thoughts, words, and actions, right? But isn't it true of you, and I know it's true of me, and you know it's true of me, that I don't always act based on what I believe? Do you? Do you always act based on what you believe? I believe it's always the best thing for me to drive with my seatbelt on. But I'm gonna confess something to you this morning. I don't always drive with my seatbelt on. I don't always act based on what I believe. I always act based on what I want. So how do I shape my wants? I think that desire is at the heart. Our wants and desires is at the heart. I show this through uh, circles. We don't have the circles. We just have the word circles. So imagine circles uh, where our our hearts, what we desire is at the center of our, our thoughts and actions. And Proverbs tells us above all else, guard your heart. Like we, and so we think of guarding as kind of this passive thing. Maybe you've seen uh, the guards at Buckingham Palace and they just kind of stand there. That's kind of what they're known for, just standing there and waiting maybe. And, and if something bad happens, then they go into action pretty quick. But for the most part, they just stand there and guarding is a very passive thing. I think of guarding my heart more in terms of like Gary Payton guarding Michael Jordan. You remember Gary Payton, the glove? Uh, defensive player of the year multiple times in the NBA and uh, gave Michael Jordan the hardest time of anybody. Um, And Gary Payton does not guard Michael Jordan passively, does he? 
Now, if you think about it in the NBA today, if the guy who has to guard Steph Curry is just the, he's just got the worst job of it on the whole court because Steph Curry just runs the entire time, runs miles in one game. You can't guard somebody in the NBA by being passive. You have to be active. And I don't think we can guard our hearts by being passive. I think we have to be active. And I think David's problem was he got really passive about guarding his heart. And when he did, then it was his selfish desires that led him to control other people. And it wasn't until his heart was broken that he allowed his heavenly father to put his desires in David's heart. David lived under his authority. So how do we do this? If, if our, how do we change what we want? That's the question. How do we change what we really want? Uh, we can't think ourselves into new desires. We can't just educate ourselves into new desires. We can learn and learn and learn and still nothing change in our hearts. So how do we, how do we change what we want? I think we have to build some action in. We've got to be active at guarding our hearts. So you know how the human heart works. I'll show you a picture of that. Um, the, the human heart takes in blood from the veins and it sends out blood through the arteries, right? Did I get that right? Okay, veins and arteries. So that's, that's what our, our physical heart does, takes, takes in and sends out. And I think in the sense that we're talking about today, guarding our hearts, that we are taking stuff into our hearts and we are sending stuff out from our hearts. And if we're going to take an active role, if we're, we're going to let our heart's desires be shaped by our Heavenly Father instead of by our selfish wants, then we've got to do a couple things. We have got to understand the outflow. We've got to understand the outflow of our hearts. So um, this is what Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 6. Let's uh, look at this. Jesus says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That's not exactly how we always think it works. Have you ever had something come out of your mouth that you thought, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> That's not me. I don't really think that. I don't believe that. I don't mean that. Jesus would say, oh, it's in there. It's in there. Like anything that comes out of you came out of you because it's in you. And so when things come out of us, thoughts, words, actions come out of us that don't reflect the nature and character of Jesus, that, that's something that is in our heart. And we have to understand the outflow. So here's a few things I want to suggest that we can do to help us understand the outflow. First is just a self-evaluation. We just need to take some time to self-evaluate. What do I want most? And is that showing up? If you were to write that down on a piece of paper, the answer to that question, what do I want most? And then evaluate your thoughts, words, and actions. Do your thoughts, words, and actions match up with what you say you want most? And if they don't, my guess is you're not being honest with yourself about what you want most. Because I believe it's our desire, our wants, that fuel our thoughts, words, and actions. So if we see a discrepancy between our thoughts, words, and actions and what we say we want most, then something needs to change. We need to, above all else, guard our hearts. All right, second tip is to ask a friend. This is what David just did not do. And this is because of his position of authority. There was no one to tell David, hey, stop it. 
Like what you're doing is wrong. You've got to stop it. He's sending messengers all over the place and he's telling people, go get Bathsheba and go you know, get Uriah. And, and where was the person in his life who was gonna say, David, just stop it. This is unhealthy. This is wrong. You've got to knock it off. There was no one in his life to do that. Who, who in your life does that for you? Who in your life can, can catch you when you're headed down this road, you've got your selfish desires controlling your thoughts, words, and actions. And who do you have in your life who's gonna say, hey, stop, you can't go down this road. You've gotta knock it off. We need to invite that, not just count on, maybe somebody will stop me if I get off the rails too far. We need to ask people, hey, do you see anything in me that does not line up with the way of Jesus? Do you see anything in me that does not line up with the way of Jesus? Who can you ask that question to that's gonna give you an honest answer? And we need that because we need to understand what's coming out of us. And then the third uh, suggestion is just, just therapy. Sometimes we just need some good counseling from a, from a believer, a Christ follower who understands psychology, who can walk us through what's coming out of us so we can understand where that's coming from. Where are those thoughts, words, and actions coming from? Sometimes we need some professional help with that. So that's understanding the outflow. That's one thing our hearts do is, is we send out through the arteries. The other thing is we take stuff in and we've got to manage the inflow, manage the inflow of what's coming in our hearts. This is what uh, the apostle Paul says to the church in Philippi. Um, he says this in Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, when I was a kid in, in, in Sunday school and youth group, this verse was used to make me feel really guilty about the music and TV that I consumed. <laughs> My youth leader would say, now, um, the TV shows that you watch, are they true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy? What's the answer to that question? Unless all you watch is The Chosen, the answer is no. No, it's not. It's not. Well, I'm not here just to make you feel guilty about the stuff you consume. I am saying we have to pay attention to it. We absolutely have to pay attention to the stuff that we're consuming. What are we bringing into our hearts? I'm not here to tell you that if you, if, you, if you watch a show and it has this many F-bombs, you shouldn't watch that show. I, what I'm here to say is like, what are we allowing in to our hearts? What are you intentionally bringing in that is good and true and right? And we start with scripture, for sure. We start with conversation with Christian friends. But there's music and there, there is entertainment out there that you can find that is good and true and noble and excellent and praiseworthy. So we, we need to understand what are we bringing in? And if there's anything coming in that doesn't match those things, are we just free? Are we just, is it just a free for all? Like we'll just consume anything. We'll just watch anything. Or are we using discretion? Are we being intentional? Are we taking in stuff that doesn't match with this in extremely low doses if you have kids or grandkids, you know the impact that what they consume has on how they see themselves and see the people around them. We're not immune from that. Just because we're older, it affects adults as well. So what are you taking in? And what do you need to actively block? Most of us know when we're consuming something that's unhealthy, but I just wanna give you a few categories of things we need to stay away from. Or, or make sure are showing up in extremely low doses 
in our lives. Negativity, complaining, uh, gossip, some of these shouldn't be a part of our lives at all. Obscene joking um, or language, violence, pornography, zero um, of that, outrage. I think sometimes we can't control all of this. We can't control if somebody, if there's outrage around us, we can't control like that. But we're not intentionally seeking that out and we're doing what we can to block that. When we think about gossip, how many of you have friends that they just, they just talk about other people all the time and you just let it happen? You, you, you can't do that. that. That is impacting you whether you realize it or not. There, there's an opportunity if you have a good relationship with them to say, hey, like, this is not okay. We can't talk about people like this. Or if you don't have the relationship to say that, just remove yourself from that. We just can't let that kind of negativity into our hearts because scripture tells us above all else, because everything else flows from it. Your thoughts, your words, and actions come from what's in your heart. And if we're not intentionally, on purpose, putting good things in, then there's stuff that's gonna come out and, and you might honestly just go, well, I don't know where that came from. And Jesus would say, oh, I, I, I do. It, it, it was in there. That's why it came out. I think every one of us is like David. We have this drift towards selfishness. We're gonna drift towards selfishness. We just are. We're, we're, our desires are gonna drift towards what I want to happen in my life. But what Jesus gives us, the gift of the Holy Spirit, is the opportunity to push back against that drift and to let God's desires be what fuels our thoughts, words, and actions. So what I want becomes the same thing as what God wants for me. That's the goal, right? Sometimes it feels like we're, we're a long way from that goal. But I believe that if we pay attention, if we understand what's coming out of us and we manage what's coming into us, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can shift our desires to match up with God's desires for us. That's why the psalmist can write in Psalm 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We can't switch the order of those two phrases. We delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give us the desires of our heart. Because here's what I know is true about me and I believe is true about you. When I'm not guarding my heart, I stink at loving the people around me. I'm just terrible at it. When David wasn't guarding his heart, how good was he at caring about the people around him like Bathsheba and Uriah? Terrible at it. He destroyed their lives because he wasn't guarding his heart. And I have the same potential to destroy people's lives if I don't guard my heart. I think the same is true of you. If we're really going to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind and love our neighbors, we have to also love ourselves. And that means guarding our hearts. Brothers and sisters, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. This is a self-care practice that enables us to recognize who we are in Christ and recognize the image of God on the people around us. So I just want to invite you to think through some of those practices. We're going to close. If you would stand. And if, if there was anything that, that came out of David's story or, or those words of Jesus uh, or just that proverb, maybe that proverb is something you take home with you and you, you write that down or talk about it with your family. I encourage you to think through what does it look like for you to evaluate what's coming out, manage what's coming in so that you're guarding your heart in a way that keeps you healthy so that you can love the people around you well. Let's, let's pray about that together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to study together this morning, to worship you, to pray, to share in communion and just to recognize your goodness and glory. 
And would you continue in us, Father, to um, convict us through the power of the Holy Spirit, through our, our brothers and sisters around us, to guard our hearts well, so that what we want matches up with what you want for us, and that what comes out of us reflects the nature and character of Christ. Would you do that in us and for us? And, and in the process, God, help us just to get better at loving the people around us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.